0: Hey guys, this is Dustin from Music the Lifeblood. Real quick, I want to tell you guys about my favorite Midwestern record store, Indie CD and Vinyl, located at 806 Broad Ripple Ave in the throbbing Broad Ripple neighborhood of Indianapolis, Indiana. They've got stacks of wax, metal, hardcore, punk rock, reggae, crazy electronic shit that you've never even heard of that you got to check out. Indie CD and Vinyl has it all. You can find these guys on Facebook and Twitter at Indie CD and Vinyl. Go check them out, Indie CD and Vinyl, where the music is at. Sitting around with time to Hey folks, Big Jake here just to take a minute and remind you that Music at the Lifeblood is not a politically correct podcast, so the following episode might have some colorful commentary on the subjects at hand. Listener discretion is advised. Sitting around with time to kill, if we don't do it then no one will. Our eyes are cold, our thoughts are old, 15 minutes till we lose control. You are now listening to... So Music. Women, the, life the generation behind. Going just fine. Maybe The following is a work of fiction based on true events. The band is gonna make it by Dustin. The summer of nineteen ninety nine, in hindsight, at this point in my life, is something to be laughed at. I was a year out of high school and was bound and determined that the band was going to make it. The band is going to make it. The phrase had become equal parts self-deprecating and rallying cry among the members of the band. It was a regular stab or slap on the back when someone wrote a particularly creative bit of music or suggested any kind of ridiculous notion that the collective found displeasing. The band is going to make it. To me... And years past has come to represent the totality of all the stupid things that can transpire in the confines of playing in a band and trying to make it. All the while being thrust up into your neck into what you could ignorantly define as making your dreams come true. The scene is set among the backdrop of rural middle to lower class Indiana. We grew up in a small town called Hartford City. Not known for much of anything other than a successful pornographic drive-in theater. No, I'm not joking. Though, by the summer of 1999, the drive-in had long went the way of the dodo bird. The fact remained that there was a place you could go see porn in the open Midwestern breeze at one point. The underground screamo music movement was in full swing and gaining momentum with bands like Thursday and At The Drive-In garnering most attention. On the other end of the spectrum lied the soon-to-be-dominating new metal movement, and that's in N.U., not N.E.W., a genre and subsequent music scene compromised of bands down-tuning their guitars to the point of almost inaudible rumbling played over the top of needlessly complex drum patterns, and singers that tried way too hard to project an image of being vigorously abused by mothers, fathers, girlfriends, and all manner of anyone or anything that they could overindulgently interpret as a slight against them. It was made worse when all the while the players trying to be taken seriously were sporting baggy dicky work pants and ornate silkscreen lounge shirts, trying to convince their audience that the plight of Generation Y was of crushing proportions. So, let's meet the players. Worth mentioning at this point is that some names have been changed to protect careers and family members of those involved. Dustin, the bass player and de facto band leader, as well as your humbled writer and narrator. Derek, my older brother, brief and former guitarist of the band. Very recently divorced at the point of events taking place and going for the proverbial gold in the quote-unquote o of life. Habib, the singer of the band. Very adept at locating assorted intoxicants and what I call dollar general drug consumption. Clearly, at the time, battling with impending adulthood. His catchphrase? Better living through chemistry. The driver. Friend of the band. Driver of the van. Avid fan of barely tolerable, loosely defined music. And an infamous opiate enthusiast within Harford's alternaculture. The guitarist. Obviously, the guitarist of the band. He seemed to perpetually not enjoy performing in a band, let alone being in it. The drummer. He's the newest member to the band, and I use the term drummer loosely here as well. His inability to duplicate even some of the most rudimentary and straightforward simple beats of the previous drummer, a constant source of frustration for me. No joke, turns out he was deaf in one ear. A fucking drummer that's deaf in one ear. What the fuck? Bryce's girlfriend. I literally never learned her name but she's the girlfriend of the contact person hosting the show we were about to play. And then there's a cop. That one's pretty obvious too. It's a fucking cop. And last but not least, we have Satan's fuck box. This is what I nicknamed the driver's van. The band had formed quickly in the summer of 1998, just after I had graduated high school. I had recruited a relative of mine who, for the sake of anonymity, we're going to call him Habib. Side note, just a little backstory on the name Habib. I gave him the nickname a few years earlier as I was jokingly referring to him for some odd reason, Habib the American Dream. I don't know why, but quite literally, we found it funny, and for some reason, it just stuck. At this point in the band's history, we had already cycled through our original guitarist, due to his inability to not play everything just like Kirk Hammett from Metallica. And our original drummer had opted out due to my constant badgering of him to not be high every minute of every single fucking band rehearsal. In hindsight, both Fallen members were great guys. And they were really adept players on their instruments. But when the band is trying to make it, it's kind of hard to see the forest from the trees. Inevitably, when you play in a band, there comes a time when the band will collectively say, Hey, we need to play some shows. As if to say, it's imperative that the public be exposed to our particularly unique brand of sonic genre-busting creativity. Now, I'll be the first to admit that when you're in the thick of it, you don't always have the clearest of vision or foresight into matters at hand, but being 15-plus years removed from the situation, I can say with certainty that not only was the band not that good, but it was mediocre at best. Take, for example, our name. I don't know exactly how the name of the band came to light, but I do know that I had a heavy hand in it. A la The Frat. The Frat. Yes, we named our fucking band The Frat. It's almost as if we came out of the gate fucked and wanting to be laughed at. In a time of new metal, with quote-unquote groundbreaking albums being released left and right by amazingly shitty bands like Limbisket and Cold Chamber, we thought we could trudge our way through the fray with the bold name of The Frat, hoisted upon our shoulders, heads held high, and stand among our peers as titans of the new metal movement. Anyone that knows anything about new metal knows how truly idiotic doing things for the nookie is. Yeah, I did it all for the nookie. I couldn't take that shit seriously then, and I'm not going to take it seriously now. Limb Biscuit is a shitty band, but that guitar player, though, that guy's fucking fun to look at. I can look back now and smirk with a bemused look on my face and say with 100% confidence that, clearly, our heads were up our own asses. When in doubt, if you're involved in a music scene and Biscuit is the high watermark, then it is imperative that you take a step back and reevaluate where you're headed in life. The music we made was an odd concoction, made up of a bunch of oddly fitting parts. A. The guitar player who clearly looked like he never wanted to be there. B. A drummer that didn't like the other half of the rhythm section, and who, more importantly, was deaf in one ear. He wasn't my first choice for a drummer, and to be honest... I don't even know at the time I would have wanted him to be my last. But when the previous guy quit abruptly because he felt like the man was coming down on him for smoking the good Lord's herb, and in this instance, I was the man, we ended up having to do what we had to do. And C, a singer who embodied the term singer very loosely. And D, myself. I was a bass player who always felt the need for a bass solo was imminent. Absolutely certain. There needed to be another bass solo, and another, and another, and another it was ridiculous. Upon mixing of these ingredients, you were to be privy to what sounded much like if Primus were to have a house party with Marilyn Manson, and someone showed up with a bag of Ritalin, and then everyone tried to sit down and watch G.I. Joe cartoons or Billy Graham give his Sunday sermon. It was truly the audio embodiment of things needing lubricant to perform, but was boldly going with the dry friction approach. Yeah, I said dry friction. I just mentioned doing something that you would usually need lubricant for, but intentionally going without said lube. This should be pretty easy to figure out that it's not going to work. But the band was going to make it! Right? I had been booking shows fairly consistently for about a year at that point, and in our overly exuberant youthful ignorance, our motto had been, Any Show Anywhere. Safe to say that, as far as criteria goes, I should have been a bit more discerning in taste and what would have been, successfully, realistic. The show was a a two-and-a-half-hour drive from the rehearsal space of our drummer's rented house. Not something to look forward to, but it was a chance to play in a city we hadn't previously. The city? Bloomington, Indiana. I had poked around with other scenesters, and the city had been talked up as an alternative music scene utopia a place where virtually all bands had a built-in audience that would flock to them in droves. Crowds foaming at the mouth, hungry for whatever was on the underground's cutting edge. I had by way of that summer's newest issue of Book Your Own Fucking Life made a contact with a young man named Bryce, who acted as a helping hand in finding places to play for bands coming through the area of Bloomington. For those of you that don't know what Book Your Own Fucking Life is, at the time, it was a semi-annual zine published independently containing contact information of venues, promoters, and places to sleep for bands that were booking tours, quote-unquote, independently. And independently in this instance, meaning having to do things like book your shows and release recorded music all on your own without the aid of formal management. In short, in my opinion, it's to have a huge pain in your ass. I had spoke with Bryce via phone a couple times to get the details of the show finalized and to make arrangements for meeting at the venue in the weeks prior to the show date. In this case, the show was to be held in the basement of a house that Bryce made his residence in. Or, so I understood. The driver was a friend of the band who I had known since high school ever interesting but unbearably irresponsible. It was difficult to deal with him on any kind of long-term basis because of his amazing ability to seemingly locate and ingest all drugs in his immediate vicinity. Coupled with his overall less-than-desirable hygiene habits and his godlike worship of Mike Patton, in a way, to be near the driver was to be near something just terribly forbidden by the laws of man. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that Mike Patton isn't an amazing artist. I love Faith No More. I think Mr. Bungle is great. However, I am saying that some of the music he has released, i.e. four-track recordings of him making noises with his mouth, isn't something that I desire to listen to at deafening volume, which was regular practice of the driver. The driver had arrived in what had once looked like a black with baby blue trim minivan but could be more aptly described as hell on wheels. I had taken to nicknaming it Satan's Fuckbox. Crowded with junk food wrappers, discarded bits of food, marijuana seeds and stems, and just the overall dense layers of refuse and confusion that just seemed to orbit around the driver at all times. The vehicle was clearly not maintained well, but it was large enough to carry most of the assorted equipment and BIM members that came along with a Trek like this. Habib, at this point, had become what the drummer's girlfriend had christened him, a walking pharmacy. Due in part because he seemed to have an endless supply of prescription drugs of the uppers and downers sort on hand at all times. He was always a resourceful drug user, in my opinion, breaking the status quo laws of the Midwestern slack-eyed drug user. On the rare occasion he was unable to get his hands on the good stuff, He had put to use the skill of what I refer to as Dollar General drug consumption. This meant Habib was adept at achieving a suitable high from mixing assorted over-the-counter medicines purchased from the Dollar General store. In particular, one of his favorites was to take an overdose of Excedrin PM and have a ball when he would intentionally stave off the drowsiness and stay awake to the point that minor hallucinations would begin to occur. On this particular day, at the time of the rendezvous, I was just glad that he had yet to break out the Ritalin. The drive to the drummer's house was an uneventful 20 minutes of listening to the driver and Habib trading pharmaceutical tips. I do remember dreading that I was going to have to deal with the drummer's girlfriend, let alone the drummer himself. I found the both of them so utterly unlikable. He, the drummer, seemed to be an overtly moody fellow who was perpetually bummed that Habib and I thought the music he was into was completely lame. He wasn't nearly as technically proficient in his drumming as our previous guy, easily evidenced in his inability to duplicate multiple drum parts of songs, causing them to be eliminated entirely from our set. Compounding this was his very apparent aversion to me as a person. I never asked him what his problem with me was, but in hindsight, I would guess that he disliked me because I seemed to have brought chaos and annoyance via the band quite literally to his doorstep, and maybe my own out-of-control cockiness had a little something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe. Probably. On top of all this dysfunction, it had became very obvious over the course of the previous few months that the drummer's girlfriend didn't like Habib or I either. And in all honesty, I found her to have that kind of Yoko Ono mystical effect on us. I found myself quite literally wanting to poke her in the eye with something sharp. I know that she was probably as nice of a person as could be, but when you're 19 or 20 years old and the band is going to make it, you don't always have the greatest foresight into whether someone is a good person or not, nor the patience to try and meet people in the middle. I mean, I mean, fuck compromise, right? Yeah, hindsight can truly be a fucking son of a bitch sometimes. The original plan had been to have all of the band, equipment, and the driver to all ride together in the van, but the drummer was insistent upon bringing his girlfriend with him, so it meant that a second car would be necessary to make the trek. It wound up being the driver, Habib, myself, and soon to be my older brother Derek in Satan's fuckbox, with the drummer, the girlfriend, and the guitarist in the drummer's car following behind. We took 20 minutes to load up and everything seemed as per usual. I could sense some tension coming from the drummer in lieu of his emphatic insistence of having his girlfriend come along for the trip, and Maya's equally emphatic request that she not come along the previous rehearsal. My rationale at the time, I saw her as a distraction of sorts. With all things loaded, we made haste to pick up my awaiting brother. At the time... Derek had been staying in a townhouse near the middle of the town we had grown up in due to his recent divorce. The separation had left Derek in mixed spirits. On one hand, he was clearly upset that he had been torn from someone he cared for very much, but on the other hand, it was apparent that he felt a sense of relief and freedom in the decision for the couple to split. I had noticed over the course of the weeks preceding that Derek wasn't in the most amazing of places mentally. So I made it a point to ask Derek if he would like to tag along with us for the show. Derek had always been, for the most part, what I would call an upstanding young man. He took being a dad very seriously. He still does. And I'm 100% certain that he always will. And he made it a point to stay away from substance use other than the rare occasion he would have a few too many screwdrivers at a family and friends get together. So one could imagine my surprise when I heard a resounding yes from my brother when Habib blurted out, hey, I got some speed, want some? Habib was a staunch advocate of what he referred to as better living through chemistry. I knew at that moment that my brother would be using this trip as an opportunity to let go of some of the baggage he had been carrying around on his slumped shoulders for the last few months. Now, I'll be the first to admit that pharmaceuticals can enhance the quality of a lot of people's lives. But Habib had taken this to an almost perverted kind of rationale. Still, there was, oftentimes, humor in it. I can remember the time that Habib snorted a large amount of Adderall and convinced the guitarist to shave his eyebrows. It gave him an oddly prepubescent yet menacing visage that we could collectively chuckle at. Clearly, better living and now grooming through chemistry. The drive to Bloomington was interesting to say the least. I noticed that as Habib and Derek's high began to go on the upswing, they chattered almost like Furbies. And in case you don't remember what Furbies are, they're those literal battery-powered stuffed animals that when you set them side by side, they squawk back and forth to each other in sort of mock cuteness that wound up looking more like a terrifying fallacy of life. One would say something, then the other would begin to emphatically agree and underscore the same point as the former would already be moving on to the next topic. I sat perplexed in the front passenger seat as I tried to differentiate the conversation between Derek and Habib and the mess of audio pouring from the stereo speakers as Mike Patton had his way with my ears. Topically, though, it was an interesting conversation to step in on sporadically. It was the first and only time I heard my brother in all seriousness say... I ought to burn that guy's house down. Maybe that was why he had started smoking recently. Maybe it was a handy excuse to get a lighter in his hands. Maybe it was a hilarious thought to imagine my brother with a heart pounding as fast as a hummingbird's, intensely focused by amphetamine, while hunched beneath his boss's living room window holding a lit lighter to the side of his house. Good news, though. My brother never wound up an arsonist. The drive was long. When I wasn't drifting in and out of loosely defined conversation between Derek and Habib, I was recalling the directions and arrangements I had made with my contact in Bloomington. I had made it a point to touch base with the host of the show and resident of the house we would be playing the day before, and most things, from a distance, were in order. Remember, folks, this was a time when cell phones were much less common than they are now. We would be arriving at approximately 6pm to load in and to meet our contact to go over anything of importance regarding the show. The show would be starting around 8pm, with us playing second in the lineup of bands. This particular show was what's called a house show, which we had played a few times before, so we understood going in that all things involved would be modest and nothing of exceptional splendor and luxury. If you've never been to a house show and you're unfamiliar with the term, it's quite literally a band playing in someone's living room, a basement, a kitchen, in front of a nominal amount of onlookers. And in my experience, if you do host a house show, you're opening up yourself to having your home completely destroyed. I was happy to step out of Satan's fuckbox after the two-and-a-half-hour drive filled with a potent pasteurized audio assault that was the miasma of Habib, Derek, and the driver's choice of music. We rolled up to a nondescript house on an even more nondescript street. The house was a one-story renter in an obviously close to Indiana University campus neighborhood. The address I had written down for our contact matched the one on the front of the house. The house appeared to have no activity going on inside, evidenced by no illumination coming from lamps or light sources in the front windows. I stepped up onto the street curb and double-checked the address I had written down and stared somewhat bemused at my brother who was visibly teeming with amphetamine-enhanced energy alongside Habib. Derek, at this point, now truly possessed by the amphetamine racing through his veins, stared right back at me and announced to the caravan, WE'RE GONNA BURN THIS MOTHERFUCKER DOWN WITH ROCK! THE BAND IS GONNA MAKE IT! As happy as I was to have my brother enthusiastically cheerleading our venture, I knew there could possibly be some truth to what Derek was saying. This statement being underscored by the fact that the drummer's girlfriend had a look on her face made of equal parts nervous disgust and quiet acceptance of the fine line between excitement and felonious vandalism my brother was now walking on. I saw the guitarist nod to himself in that very characteristic manner that said, I'm skeptical, yet... I'm willing to play ball if things immediately improve. I hadn't noticed at the time, but Habib, with his speed-heightened sense of vision, saw the dirty hippie sitting somewhat semi-sentient on the front porch of the house. Hey, ask that dirty guy, as he pointed at the young man on the porch who was now taking notice of us. We began to walk up to the porch as my brother countered Habib with, Hippies don't know shit, do they? The guitarist, turning beet red, mumbled to urge Derek to shh as the driver stood audibly holding in an impending laugh-out-loud response. Derek, taking the lead, pointedly asked the hippie, Do you live here? Sort of. The hippie answered in an obviously bong-crusted drone. I could hear the drummer's girlfriend stage whisper to the drummer, Is this a joke? I immediately countered her with an irritated look as I asked, We're supposed to play here tonight. Is Bryce here? I don't know, man, the hippie responded. But you guys can come in and... As he trailed off in unintelligible gibberish. Hobby and Derek both nodding in unison approval with the driver. The hippie, mumbling things most likely about not liking soap or how awesome corduroy pants are, led us into a room with no internal light source, barely illuminated by the dim streetlights. We stumbled into what looked to be a living room with a couple couches around a coffee table and what looked to be a television off in the corner beneath the front window. Derek and Habib flopped gracelessly onto one of the couches as the driver crowded in next to them, making what I could only describe as a dad quietly trying not to shit his pants in front of his kids kind of sounds. Then, staring wide-eyed at the effect the opiates chased with amphetamine Habib had supplied him with were causing. I watched in the dim light as the hippie planted himself in the middle of the floor in a kneeling position. The drummer's girlfriend, all the while, had been searching for a light source to gain some much-needed clarity on the lay of the proverbial land. Everyone sat uncomfortably for a few minutes as I tried to pull some semblance of vital information from the depths of the rampant, inarticulate answers from the hippie. The room was suddenly bathed in illumination upon the drummer's girlfriend finding purchase on a light switch on the wall. The driver, Habib, and Derek all cringed with a GAH as they squinted their eyes when the flood of light poured into their dime-sized, dilated pupils. I took in the room as I heard the guitarist and drummer quietly exchanging growing frustration of the situation. The house, from what I could inspect, appeared to be what a group of renters' home on a college campus would stereotypically imagine to be like. Mismatched and sparsely furnished. A few pieces of mixed furniture, couches, and a standing lamp. There was a set of stairs on the far wall and two doors to the right of the front door we walked in. The hippie, in a kneeling position, barely staring back at the seven of us in the middle of the floor, offered a, cool, to the drummer's girlfriend upon her discovery of the light switch. My brother, vibrating on the couch, looked up to me as I stood at the opposite end of the couch behind the driver. Where's this cat at, man? His question made all the more potent with his high peeking, giving his face an emphatically eager visage. Where was Bryce? I shrugged my shoulders as the drummer's girlfriend impatiently said, well, somebody's got to know, as Habib made an oddly predatory glare back at her. I hazarded stepping out of the room through to what appeared to be a would-be dining room over into a smaller room adjacent to the back wall of the living room. I could hear Derek in the other room announce to Habib with an excited tinge to his voice, I'm fucking flying! Habib countering back at him with, Marilyn Manson says cocaine makes you poop. The driver, with a fair amount of concern, chimed in with, I don't want to shit my pants today. His worry made legitimate with his never-ending bowel troubles due to having a significant portion of his intestines removed during his formative years. Shitting his pants was, quite literally, a real problem of his. I was growing more frustrated as I stepped through the adjacent would-be dining area and into the next room. I could catch bits and pieces of my brother and Habib's nonsense as I groped for a light switch. I found one on the wall. I flicked it to the on position and the room was illuminated as I could hear the driver recounting one of his many stories of shitting his pants in public to Derek and Habib's hysterical laughter. I scanned the room. A beat-up desk with a few stacks of papers with a calendar tacked to the wall above it was the only thing of consequence that I could find. I glanced at the calendar and was relieved to see a box with the day's date and the frat written inside of it. I was flooded with the light upon my discovery, which was underscored by my brother's excited declaration of, I feel fast! This was an actual lead. Something tangible that could be chased down. I quickly went back into the front room and announced, I found a calendar with our name on it. As the driver let out a hearty belch, Derek turned to him and said with a concern of sitting next to someone about to shit their pants, Are you going to shit your pants? With the driver shrugging an equal parts yes and no response. Good. The drummer's girlfriend countered to me very unenthusiastically. Habib made an exaggerated mocking glare towards the drummer's girlfriend as Derek made a slight audible snicker at her response, then leaned in toward Habib while pointing at the dirty hippie and whispered, What's that guy's deal? Habib, snickering, offered to Derek with a shrugging, wordless, I don't know gesture as the drummer's girlfriend scowled at them for interrupting her as the driver belched again in retort to her glare. Then, abruptly, one of the two doors to the side of the front room slowly opened and out shambled a young man and woman about 19 years of age, dressed in trendy threads of the day befitting crust punks. In case you don't know what crust punks are it's a subset of the punk rock movement consisting of a sort of dirty stinky punk rockers who meticulously make it a point to highlight how everyone isn't a crust punk and is clearly brainwashed and is following all the quote-unquote sheep around them while all wearing mostly the same type of clothing and listening to mostly the same bands and saying mostly the same things to this day crust punks Sometimes you guys just really fucking confuse me. Hi! I jumped right in. Then suddenly, to everyone's surprise, a quick shuffling sound came from the stairs as another young man dressed in tight brown jeans and an olive green cardigan sweater came bounding down the stairs. I shot a question into the middle of the room, hoping one of the newcomers would answer, Hey, we're the frat. Is Bryce here? The young crusty fella answered, no, he's not. He wiped the sleep away from his eyes with his upturned palm as he shuffled back and forth on his feet as if to warm them up. From behind us, we heard, He's still in class. As two tattooed young women with obscenely stupid buzzcuts entered from the desk room, carrying with them a thick-as-pea-soup bitterly sharp body odor that wafted into us as a group derek somewhat startled and confused that the five new people that had suddenly appeared announced "Ah, they're coming out of the walls as he threw up his hands in a performance of mock confusion the driver laughed with delight at my brother's comment and began to quickly scan each of the new faces in the room i grabbed a quick peek at all the sets of eyes and faces they all stared back with oddly cocked eyebrows and mouths agape with confusion at all the newcomers it was apparent that it was quickly beginning to click with them that there was now a new metal band in their midst. And we don't do frats either! The crust punk fellow replied to me as he looked somewhat bothered by my brother's remark. Clearly, he had began to regard us with a growing consternation. He immediately began to regard my brother in some kind of bro stereotype. What's a bro, you ask? Bros are young men that like to party with other bros that like football and tailgating. And a side note to that, Derek's not a bro. Though... I would say he's more of a dude. And in this instance, you could divine dude by a cool guy that likes Van Halen. We're not in a frat. I shook my head in annoyance at both the frustration of the conversation and the stupid name of our band. That's our band, The Frat. I answered as Habib, too, shook his head in his constant regret at the choice of our moniker as well. Like I mentioned earlier, the name sort of typifies what really underscored where we went wrong from the get-go. The situation made all the more odd by not having to explain our ridiculous band name, but having crust punks and salty wet dog smelling ninja-like buzzcut girls seemingly crawl out of the cracks and the walls like bugs. The entire room, with its occupants and conversation, was something out of some ridiculously constructed punk rock fairy tale. Still, aghast and in wonder at where the new people had came from, my brother looked at Habib and asked quietly with the utmost sincerity, Is this happening because I'm high? As Derek slowly began to lean in towards Habib with eyes wide, awaiting an answer with unflinched attention. Habib snorted a characteristic laugh and assured him, (laughs) Nope. They're as real as speed makes you feel good. As he smiled wide with a strangely half-perverse, half-delighted chagrin. My brother leaned back into the sofa and slowly, with eyes as big as saucer plates, listened with both interest and disinterest. Cardigan Guy immediately interjected, Why did you name your band The Frat? as he gave an obvious look that was all complete condescension as he sidestepped the hippie, still hunkered in the middle of the floor, apparently examining the carpet with unyielding focus. Because we like to party? My brother retorted quickly as he shrugged his shoulders with a nonchalant, matter-of-fact tone as he tapped Habib's side with his elbow to emphasize how they were both, in fact, partying that very moment. Again, Habib snorted, with a little more volume at the crack my brother had made. I like to party. The driver confirmed to no one in particular with a thoughtful gaze in his eyes as if to say, partying is an essential part of life. This would quickly devolve into a conversation I did not want to have happen. So trying to cut to the point, I made a firm gesture and spoke directly to the group of newcomers with growing insistence. We are in a band. The Frat. We booked a show with Bryce. Where is he? I gestured with my hands as if to mime I was bouncing a ball into the newcomer's hands to take the lead and hopefully give us some answers. One of the buzzcut girls spoke up first. Yeah, come in here. As her stinking frame turned and not only gave us direction to go with a pointed finger, but a very distinguishable aromatic cloud to follow that I was inevitably going to have to walk through. Was this about to be another lead to follow? It looked so... Great! We followed her and her friend through the would-be dining room, then through the desk room, and then into a walk-through kitchen with dirty floor tiling that ran the length of the back side of the house. She led us to what, at first, I thought was a closet door next to the back door of the house. The back door's screen window looking out over a porch and a narrow yet overgrown and lush green yard with a four-car parking space. Beyond that lay an alleyway that wrapped around the right side of the house. The buzzcut girl stopped and fumbled with a faulty doorknob. She opened the barely two-foot-wide door and pressed her stink into the dark doorway, then gestured for us to follow. The smell of sweat and mildew of the space hit me immediately. She led us down a narrow, twisting stairwell with steps that were creaking with strain as our feet pounded down on them. Two turns into the stairs and we were spit out into a cellar that at first glance looked like a bad attempt at being decorated with a cheeky Brady Bunch kind of flair. I saw a few beanbag chairs that were more than likely causing the bloom of rank odor to remain thick in the air tucked into the corner directly in front of us. A small table with a lava lamp precariously placed atop of it was a half-assed attempt at someone trying to be Martha Stewart-esque. At the time, I had been wearing my hair in a dyed yellow sort of mohawk that stuck up possibly two to three inches from the top of my head. When I stepped onto the concrete floor, I could feel my hair scraping the ceiling of the cellar. Bits of dirt and grime were picked up by my hair acting as a feather duster to the filthy room we were now standing in. Surprised and annoyed, I looked up to see the ceiling barely three inches from my face. Blowing out an exasperated deep breath in disappointment as I turned to the buzz cut girl obnoxiously smiling back at me as I spit out bits of dust that had fallen in my mouth. The cellar was an L shape. The area directly in front of us was approximately 8 feet by 8 feet, which turned directly into a bit of a larger space at about 8 by 12 feet. My first thought was that I was concerned about being able to fit our various pieces of equipment that it took to play at our trademark deafening volume, as well as the driver being able to tolerate the smell without throwing up on someone or something. It wasn't the kind of unnerving place that you would think someone would be killed in, but more a kind of doom space where people contracted herpes unintentionally. A rank and confined space that wasn't likely to be able to host a large number of people, let alone specifically a lame-ass new metal band. Nervous for the answer I was asking for, I immediately queried, Do you know how many people are coming? The buzzcut girl answered with, We usually get about 30 people down here, as she lightly kicked at the beanbag chair in the corner. I looked over to Habib, the guitarist, and the drummer, who stared back at me with an expected look of, what are we going to do, as my brother was gazing deeply into the ceiling, apparently marveling at how close it was to his face. I could see the confusion and anxious surprise on all of their faces as they had come accustomed to us not playing in what felt like a hole in the ground. Even with knowing that this was a house show in mind, this space was clearly pushing the limits of practicality. With the, at times, painful volume in which we played, and just the spatial issues with the size of the room, things had began to seem somewhat difficult to envision as being able to quote-unquote work. My brother Derek, the ever-enthusiastic mascot of this trip, shook his head away from the ceiling with the positivity of a lunatic about to frighten passers-by on a street corner. The band is gonna make it! He declared with all the joy of a man soaring on the wings of a majestic griffin in some far-fetched fantasy tale, his excitement was a palpable force growing in power and volume. At that moment, I knew my brother had become something new, unstoppable, not a man anymore, forged in the fires of Satan's fuckbox and spiced with Habib's cocktail of pharmaceuticals a battering ram of elation, now made of flesh. He bounded up the stairs with a loud thud as he stumbled on the first step, then out the back door as it slammed shut behind him as he no doubt charged into the backyard with the focus of a man intent on helping his brother make his dreams come true. I reluctantly acknowledged my brother's over-exuberant affirmation and turned toward the other three guys in the band and shrugged my shoulders in hesitant acceptance. I guess we're doing this was the admission i had made to myself the guitarist gave another one of his characteristic nods of both disapproval and acceptance to the drummer who looked as unthrilled about playing this tiny room as i was with his insipid drumming was clearly not having a good time unsatisfied they turned back to me as they made an empty gesture of placation and slowly began to trudge back up the stairs I sent the driver and the drummer around to the front of the house to pull the vehicles into the parking stalls at the back of the house to make the load-in process easier. I walked over and stood with my brother and Habib, who turned to me with pupils vibrating. I commented quietly, It's Gramp down there. Habib acknowledged me with a, Yep, as he drew in a breath between his teeth as if to emphasize the tension that had began to rise among the other two members of the band. I could see Habib working things through in his head. And to his credit, I always felt like he was an optimistic guy, especially when it came to matters of band problem-solving. I know. As I sighed as I brushed some of the grit that had gotten tangled in my hair, I don't know if we can fit everything, but maybe we can make it work. The thought had crossed my mind that I had done house shows before. Why couldn't it work now? Habib nodded his head in agreement as he lit a cigarette and took a long drag off of it thinking on the matter at hand. I had come to believe that Habib always seemed to get a great amount of band-related thinking done as he puffed on his Marlboros. Derek, on the other hand, was riding high on the wings of speed and the energy that had been bestowed upon him. He became focused on loading all the equipment into the cellar, seemingly by himself. When I asked him what he thought, he only answered with a, It's hot out here! as he sized up the distance between the vehicles and the cellar. The load-in began. I was intent on directing equipment into the cellar when Habib and Derek's conversation, again, began to fixate on how high they were. Now, I would never fault someone who has amphetamine coursing through their veins for not being able to maintain conversation at a reasonable volume. More so, I will not fault them for not having the acute judgment to not know, topically, what is appropriate to discuss while on said amphetamine. I had frankly began to tune them out since it was barely more than fragmented ramblings that seemed like the language only identical twin siblings could understand. Unfortunately, by that point, they weren't being inconspicuous about it either. I could fight like a... like an animal! A bear! A a bear animal! Derek loudly announced with Habib laughing at his bold statement as he dropped a PA speaker cabinet to the ground. Is this what being at Van Halen is like? It's really hot out here! It's hot because rock and roll! The band is gonna make it! Fuck! Derek seemed to be spewing sentence after sentence to anyone who was listening as he heaved various awkwardly large pieces of equipment onto his back and trudged over the back porch and down into the filthy depths of the cellar. I was trying to tune out the lightning-fast chatter happening between Derek and Abib as we unloaded about half of the equipment into the cellar. I took pause when the rest of the group had convened in the backyard for a brief rest as a car pulled up into the back parking stall. Out from the now-parked car stepped a short, big-eyed, cute, brunette young lady about my age. I couldn't make out the words from the distance, but clearly Habib and Derek had begun to speak to her. I was standing at the cellar's exit looking out the back door, staring down at the dirty hippie, who was now sitting on the edge of the back porch, trying to decide what was the next step to the load-in when I turned to my right to see the two buzzcut girls standing at the stove as they had began the process of cooking something very foul-smelling. They asked politely, Do you guys want something to eat? I looked down to what was a falafel-ish, rice-like, mushy goo being spooned in heaps into a pan i hadn't taken time to pay much more than a passing glance at either of the girls and their potent body odor was quite literally stinging my nostrils now i will openly admit that i had on more than multiple occasions picked and ate food from trash cans at that point in my life but these two girls were quite literally too disgusting to be cooking for us let alone just to be around Would it be safe to eat something prepared by someone with clearly less than desirable hygiene habits? I gave it due regard of a millisecond and decided, no, we'll probably just grab something at the Burger King down the road, I tried to fang graciously. Thank you, though. Now, that's an understandably innocuous statement in a lot of walks of life. I had even said it with requisite convincing politeness and sincerity. Burger King, not a big deal, right? Many of us had eaten there on more than several occasions. Why would there be a problem with that? There couldn't be a problem with it, right? Wrong. The air between the two girls and I immediately began to have an uncomfortable thickness that seemed to be permeated with intense disgust and disapproval on their part. And it wasn't just the excessive body odor. These two specimens, made of the pitfalls of counterculture, were sporting an agenda that did not bode well for the world of meat-eating new metal men. I must have conveyed visible confusion on my face as the two Buzzcut girls stared back with the hatred of Morrissey fans being denied yet another Smiths reunion. Then... As if a lightning rod of attention being cracked from the heavens into the ear canals of all of those in earshot. From outside, over the top of everything going on, everyone in the immediate vicinity heard my brother announce, I'M FUCKING SPEEDING SO HARD! Then another hysteric cackle from Habib as he slapped his hands together with delight at my brother's declaration. I shook my head in an accepting kind of disdain at my brother. Now, out of this specific context, that more than likely would have been something very humorous to laugh at. Hysterically so. The idea of my brother cutting loose and blowing off some of the stress that had hung over him those recent months was a welcome one, even though he was rolling the dice with his cardiovascular system and his complete lack of experience with recreational amphetamine use. However... When I began to take a closer look at the meet Is murder t-shirt the falafeling buzzcut girl that was currently appraising me with an intense kind of hatred and disgust had been wearing, I began to have a myriad of things dawn on me with shadowless illumination. That and the two large skinhead fellas coming through the kitchen door with plain-to-see Courage Crew straight-edge bomber jackets on. What's Courage Crew straight-edge? Simply put, assholes who don't partake in substance use or abuse, who have been known to beat up those who do. Now, I'm no stranger to the straight-edge lifestyle. Anyone that knows me personally knows that I have led a straight-edge life since my teens. I'm totally sympathetic to the motivation and idea of wanting to lead a life free of substance use and abuse. I get it. I live it. But I also understand that there are people that choose to take part in that kind of lifestyle, and I have always tried my best to let people be content to live their own lives. Thus, I've made it a point to stay away from the judgmental diatribes and and bitch sessions directed at those around me. Metaphorically, I'm okay with someone, proverbially, swinging their fist wherever they want as long as it doesn't touch my face. Immediately, It was apparent that Habib and Derek had walked us into a situation that we did not want to be in ever. Now, in my own defense, I will say that during the course of my assorted phone calls with Bryce, I had mentioned a few times that I myself was straight edge, and getting an approving acknowledgement from him, I hadn't thought anything twice about this particular situation ever arising. The thick tension between myself, the horrifically smelling buzzcut girls, and the now observing Courage Crew thugs was cut when the lead buzzcut girl countered with a, oh. Well, we don't know anything about that. Referencing my seemingly innocent Burger King statement. As she glanced slowly between her newly arrived friends, myself and habib and derek out in the yard she slammed her proverbial gavel down and said to her courage crew friends i think those two meat eaters are on meth the courage crew thugs without a word started for the backyard with fists clenched i pivoted on one foot and pushed out the back door dodged the sitting dirty hippie and made a beeline towards habib and derek who were now in full chat mode with the apparently newly arrived bryce's girlfriend why there was no Bryce to this day, I do not know. If I had to wager a guess, he was probably avoiding the smell of the buzz cut girls, or maybe he was actually in class. I don't fucking know. As I passed the guitarist, the drummer and his girlfriend, and the driver, I discreetly whispered in a panicked tone, Go get the stuff. Now. Why? The guitarist demanded insolently. Because we are about to get the shit beat out of us by straight-edge Nazis. I emphatically answered as the two Courage Crew fellows and their buzzcut counterparts were now standing on the back porch, pointing at Habib and Derek. Still walking at a fast clip, I approached Derek and Habib, now standing with Bryce's girlfriend. Hi, are you Dustin? Bryce's girlfriend asked. Uh, yeah. As I nervously stared back at the porch, the drummer, the girlfriend, and the driver began pouring out of the back door with drums and amplifiers in hand, avoiding the Courage Crew thugs. I'm Bryce's girlfriend. She began her introduction as she was cut short. Those the guys that are high? I could hear the Courage Crew guys ask the Buzzcut girls. Yeah, and they kill and Animals with Burger King, the lead buzz cut confirmed. I was well aware of how quickly things were going south, and I must have looked a complete rambling fool as I grabbed the first thought that came to mind. We're just bringing our stuff back out so that the other bands have more room down there. It was the best excuse I could think of to give Bryce's girlfriend so we could get out of there as quickly as possible. Derek and Habib, unaware of the impending physical confrontation, were were buzzing with the ferocity of Rick James himself at all the bustling activity. Oh, well... Okay. Bryce's girlfriend had answered with a hint of questioning to her voice. So, there's another band that isn't here yet, so do you guys want to go ahead and play first? She asked, still unaware that the commotion coming from the back porch was directed at us. Derrick and Habib had, at that point, noticed the now three Courage Crew thugs pointing and speaking aggressively with one another as they stepped off the porch and were advancing into the yard coming our way. They... Then both noticed my nervousness and how I was actively trying to get out of the conversation with Bryce's girlfriend and the van loaded back up as quickly as possible. A crowd of the would-be house show guests had already started to gather and the situation was deteriorating at an accelerated pace. I tried to remain calm and collected. So as to not cause any more of a scene and pick up any more unwanted attention, since we were among a seemingly tight-knit group of scene kids that would more than likely side with the Courage Crew thugs. Derek and Habib had finally picked up on what was about to start happening. We're gonna go grab some food real quick. We'll be, we'll be right back a little bit, a few minutes. The, Long drive! I stammered for an excuse as I moved to put myself between Derek and the onlooking Courage Crew thugs. I knew that if my brother were to get a hold of the three of them, he was likely to beat them with their own limbs and probably drink their blood in a speed-fueled volcanic rage. Further underscored by the fact that at that point, my brother had still yet to get his quote-unquote anger control problem under wraps. I turned and mouthed, Go to the Burger King! As I was pushing Derek into Satan's fuckbox with Habib in tow, the other car in our caravan, without hesitation, was now speeding off down the alley. The driver had picked up on the urgency of the situation and had jumped into the driver's seat and lunged Satan's fuckbox into gear and hit the accelerator. I was about to wipe the sweat off my forehead when... We slammed directly into a car that was parked in the parking stall on the opposite side of the alley. Habib screamed to the driver, Just go! As my brother's face smashed into the backside of my headrest with a splatter of spittle as he yelled, Fight! The driver immediately let loose a string of, Oh, shit! Fuck! 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 As the car's owner was now walking directly up to Satan's fuckbox and yelled, Hey! As his more than likely girlfriend passenger pulled out a cell phone and began dialing on the keypad. We all looked at each other's faces for an idea of what to do now. I screamed, "Oh shit! As I stepped out of the passenger side and walked up to the guy with one eye still on the Courage Crew thugs who were still advancing towards us from the edge of the yard. I'm so sorry! The driver pleaded with the other driver as he was walking around to the back of the van where its rear bumper was sunken into the side of the other driver's car. I looked to see the girlfriend that was accompanying the other driver, now with her phone pressed to her ear, talking at an almost undecipherable speed. At this point, we officially had the attention of the entire crowd of people that had came for the show as a growing din of disapproving chatter was starting to swell on our behalf. I would have never expected the police officer to arrive that quickly, nor do I understand how it was possible. But then again, we were near a college campus, and there were probably several squad cars patrolling the area. More than likely, looking for the next party to shut down or to enforce whatever random excise law was the focus of the day. The cop rolled into the alleyway and what I could have guessed was actually Andy Griffith's squad car. Rolling slowly down the alley, he began to churn up a dust cloud of gravel. With the flashing red and blue lights still churning back and forth, he set the vehicle in park and the driver's side door opened with a creak. His scuffed work boots hit the gravel in one hefty motion as he stood in full glory in front of the entire gathered crowd. Just as the cop began to take his first step towards our direction, I turned to see Habib taking exaggeratedly large steps towards the empty yard next to the alley. Now, Habib was never bashful about how much he didn't like cops, and I thought he was just trying to stay on the fray of the action to avoid any unwelcome interaction with the officer. Until I realized he was discreetly reaching into his pockets and scattering handfuls of pills into the grass at his feet. I didn't understand why he had moved in that direction. I felt like I was in the fucking Twilight Zone. I let my gaze drift back to the cop who was now shifting his belt and his crotch in his best I want my dick to appear too large for me to be comfortable in these pants kind of adjustment as he appraised the scene. It was now painfully apparent that we were adrift on an ocean of complete shit, with Derek, Habib, and the driver furiously paddling into the waters as I tried desperately to direct our sinking ship. The cop sauntered over to us, knowing all eyes were on him. He didn't waste any time in getting to the point. What's going on here? He demanded with a cocked eyebrow towards the four of us. The other driver pointed towards our driver as the three of us stared panicked and slack-jawed at the cop. This guy just rammed into my car! Accused the other driver as he pointed towards our driver. The cop drew in a long, melodramatic breath and let out, Alright, let me see your license and registration. As he stuck out his chubby finger towards the driver. The driver already at paranoia's brink due to the suspension of opiates and amphetamine coursing through his veins generously supplied by habib fumbled for his wallet with shaking hands i could hear the chatter of all the onlookers taking in the totality of the scene along with the press of the crowd's gaze and the now constant taunting of the courage crew thugs and their vegan stinking buzzcut cohorts it made for a frighteningly intense living nightmare like i said it felt like the fucking twilight zone as the cop plucked the driver's license from the driver's hand i could hear the driver's stomach begin to rumble i immediately began to become concerned with instead of it being another one of his disgusting stories him actually showing us what it looked like when he shit his pants right in front of us and the cop the cop raised the driver's license to his face and pulled down his aviators over his nose to stare intently at it and then move his strong-armed aviator gaze back towards the four of us again you're a long way from home son what are you doing down here he asked nonchalantly we're in a band we we just came to play a show i placated the cop acknowledged me with a hmm As he stared down my brother who was trying to project an image of sobriety but appeared more like a hyperactive hulking child being frustratingly restrained by a feeble nanny. Where's your registration? The cop finished. The driver taking that as his cue to move from the spot he had been glued to since the cop's arrival. The driver quickly sprung towards Satan's fuckbox and began rummaging around on the floorboard intently looking for his vehicle's registration. The cop then turned to the other driver and his girlfriend and began speaking in hushed tones. Habib had walked back over to my brother and I since he had discarded his payload from his pockets. The three of us stood watching the driver frantically rummaging through his vehicle, searching in vain. We waited for nearly five minutes in almost silence as the driver bore into the depths of the refuse and grime littered throughout Satan's fuckbox. All the while, the three of us kept one eye on the cop who was now sitting in the driver's seat with one leg sticking out resting on the gravel alley as he spoke quietly to the other driver and his girlfriend. We stood there hoping and silently praying the driver would find the registration as our eyes darted back and forth from Satan's fuckbox to the cop and back again. Abruptly, the cop had risen out of his squad car, slammed the door, and walked over to the three of us as we stared back in horror at what was about to come out of the cop's mouth. Look, your friend better find his registration now or I'm taking all of your asses to jail. He matter-of-factly demanded to Habib, my brother and I, Habib, without a word, instantly leaped for the passenger side of Satan's fuckbox, threw the door open, and began to rifle through the mess of garbage to aid in the hunt for the registration. My brother stared into my eyes and in all sincerity said, He's gonna take us to jail? I didn't know what to say. I just stared at Habib and the driver who were leaning headfirst into Satan's fuckbox with their asses exposed as if to foreshadow the vigorous anal pounding we would be receiving in county lockup in a matter of hours. Flinging trash over the tops of their heads like Bugs Bunny searching for something down his rabbit hole. I could hear the taunts and laughter from the Courage Crew thugs and the stink twins with buzz cuts as clear as a bell at that point. The entire crowd had now been swayed into the Courage Crew thugs' favor. Fearing my impending incarceration for what the cop probably thought was some sort of accessory to some form of attempted vehicular manslaughter, I manically yelled at the driver, Can you find it? I don't fucking know where it's at! He screamed back at me with all the fear of an already sodomized prisoner awaiting another furious ass pounding. I don't have it! He whined. I'm gonna shit on somebody in lock up! My brother, now trying to process all that was happening at what must have felt like the speed of light, tried to satiate the cop with, Look, I can vouch for this kid. That's his van. I turned in fear towards the cop hoping that my brother's gesture of audacious goodwill wouldn't enrage the officer into cuffing us all and beating us with his billy club into the dirt of the alley right then and there. The cop took in another long breath to clearly build tension to a near heart-stopping point. Then slowly, he rocked back onto the hills of his feet, turned to my brother and quietly said, I know. The cop smiled with a knowing grin. I already ran his plates. His yellow teeth showing now. My brother and I, with mouths open wide, at his cruel surprise, stood for a moment frozen by the unyielding strangeness of all that lay before us. At that moment, I knew with every fiber of my being that Bloomington was truly hell on earth, a place where souls are toyed with, tossed back like discarded pieces of refuse much like what was being flung out of Satan's fuck box by Habib and the driver. I just like seeing the two of them whine and cry and freaking out like a couple little girls. He snickered back at my brother. My brother just stared right into the cop's eyes. And I stood and stared at them, frozen to the spot I was standing on. It was like something out of a horror movie when they do that weird zoom effect. Where the person on screen rushes at you, but the background... Rushes away as well. It was as if the entire world stopped for a moment, and the cop was holding us in his hands and delighting in the fact that the four of us were so fucking close to shitting our pants in front of a crowd of onlookers. My brother let out a deadpan. As he slowly turned to me, I could tell he was unsure if he could hazard any kind of full-fledged laugh. Bloomington was, at that moment, the devil's playground, and I knew I was standing right next to the dark one dressed like the boys in blue. We had taken a ride in Satan's fuckbox, and it had taken us straight to hell. It was sadistic. But something began to stir between my brother and the cop. I suddenly realized that we had been given the pardon of a lifetime. My brother stared back at the cop and began to laugh with the intensity of his speed-fueled and now jail-free worried mind. Habib and the driver had stopped their furious digging and had poked their heads out from Satan's fuck box as they heard my brother laughing with relieved nervousness. Curious why we were laughing or if we were about to be taken to jail, Habib asked, What's the score here? The cop quickly scribbled a citation on his notepad, tore it out, and handed it to my brother and gave the other driver what looked to be a carbon copy. Get the hell out of here, the cop said with no room for argument. We all slowly looked to each other and then back to the throne of onlookers and then back to each other again. The Courage Crew thugs had been somewhat muzzled by the mere presence of the cop. For a fleeting moment, we would be safe to make our escape as he walked back to his car. Grateful for only a cruel lashing as opposed to a vicious death sentence, the driver saw a window opening. I need to grab what he dumped, the driver said as Derek Habib and I began to walk backwards to the van with our eyes still fixed on the seemingly angry mob. Bryce's girlfriend had rushed to meet us as I was backpedaling toward the van. Since the show was now about to start and before she could ask what was going on, I interrupted, Look! Look! As I was shaking my head at the driver as he took a moment to, now crawling on his hands and knees, holding a lighter to the ground, foraged through the grass where Habib had dumped his pocket full of pills. This place is weird. It's fucked. We're not playing. Ever. She stared blankly back at me as I took one last look at the Courage Crew thugs who had swayed the majority of the crowd in their favor. I thought to myself that this had to be something out of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. She answered with an affirmative, That's probably best. I nodded an approval in my brother's direction to let them know we were done here and to get the driver's attention. My brother yelled to the driver, Come on! The driver scrambled to his feet awkwardly letting out a fart as he was now bounding for the van, stuffing his pockets full of mixed handfuls of grass and pills as he dashed into the van's driver's seat. The doors slammed in unison as the driver threw the van into gear and floored the accelerator. We kicked up a huge plume of gravel and dirt as he fishtailed down the alleyway. My last glimpse of the scene was Bryce's girlfriend turning to the onlooking crowd and throwing her hands up in what looked to be a gesture of frustration and exasperation as the dirty hippie, now standing at the edge of the alleyway, waved a silent, lonesome, and dirty hippie goodbye. Now, safely tucked away into Satan's fuckbox, we all sat for a moment mesmerized by what just happened. What the fuck had just happened? How did I book a house show booby-trapped with militant straight-edge vegans? Did the Courage Crew thugs have cars? Are they going to come after us? How did my brother get that high? Is this what it was like to be in Van Halen? Where was the rest of the band? What the fuck happened to them? They had disappeared right as we slammed into the other car, and there had been no sign of them since. Did the Courage Crew thugs drag them into the cellar and beat the shit out of them for consorting with known speed freaks? I sat there in the passenger seat with my eyes darting back and forth trying to figure out what the hell happened to the guitarist, the drummer, and his annoyingly condescending girlfriend. Were they dead? Did we have to go back and storm the Courage Crew castle and demand that they hand over the prisoners of war? I was about to start screaming, WHERE THE FUCK IS THE REST OF US? When my brother interrupted my thoughts with the quietly non-negotiable, I'm hungry. BAM! The recall was instantaneous. In the panic of the potential impending bloodbath at the hands of my brother and their subsequent arrest that would follow, I had sent the rest of the group to the Burger King. Burger King! I yelled with the revelation of knowing where we could find the rest of the group. I told them to go to the Burger King! Derek and Habib were now on the downswing of their high, presumably due to all of the adrenaline burning through the amphetamine that coursed through their veins. Instead of manic instigators of trouble, we had now two precisely focused laser beams of intense hunger. They both made a positive, acknowledging head bob, while Habib muttered with intensity, Whopper, As the driver confirmed with, I have diarrhea. Yeah. We came careening into the Burger King parking lot with tires screeching as we slammed over the slant of the top of the curb. I opened the door and took a long look around the parking lot, surveying the area for any sign of the Courage Crew thugs. Knowing very well that we were still in enemy territory and that, if our experiences from the last few hours was an indication, behind any door or in a lurking shadow, there could be an attack waiting to be sprung. As I was stepping out of the van and saw the drummer's car sitting on the opposite side of the parking lot, I knew that this could be a potential safe zone. No Courage Crew thugs, no buzzcut girls, no angry mob to be seen. Safe. I exhaled a breath of relief as Habib, Derek, and the driver walked in ahead of me discussing with feverish intent what they would be ordering. At the time, I was somewhat dumbfounded that Habib, Derek, and the driver We're not discussing at all anything about the previous few hours. I quickly concluded that they were functioning on such a unilateral level that focusing on more than their animalistic hunger was impossible. They headed up to the counter as I walked to the table where the other three of our party had already occupied for the duration of the peak of the evening's events. The drummer's girlfriend met my stare immediately. I made notice of how greasy her complexion looked in the cheap ultraviolet lights of the dining room. Also, why did the drummer look like as if he had been crying? No, seriously, his eyes looked red. What was there to be crying about? He wasn't the one that had narrowly avoided potential incarceration. I walked right up to the booth and asked directly, Have you guys been here the whole time? Yeah, the drummer answered with all the confidence of an insubordinate child. He had never ceased to annoy the living shit out of me the entirety of the time we had been playing with him. On one hand, he was truly enthusiastic about playing music, but on the other hand, he was needlessly high-maintenance with his never-ending suggestions to the direction the music should be taking and the constant retooling of song structures due to his insufficient drumming. I can look back and say with total confidence now that his vision of taking things in a more of a King Diamond direction would have been about as bad as getting our asses handed to us by the Courage Crew thugs. I found him to be whiny and technically subpar to the drummer that we had parted ways with months earlier. To make all the things worse, we had found out he was deaf in one ear. His technical substandard skill level and his hearing problem combined made him an offensively incapable percussionist. His girlfriend was annoying as shit to boot. Habib had taken to meanly leering at her at the expense of the drummer's feelings and some sort of mock defiance to our need for a drummer. But, was he a truly shitty person? No, he wasn't. As I've gotten older, I've realized that I was probably just a massive dick to him. I took out my anger on his skill level and the frustration I felt when we moved from our old drummer to him. In hindsight, I probably just should have walked up to him and said, Sorry man, this evening was fucked. But instead, I shot back with, We almost got arrested! You booked this show and it was a waste of time, he retorted. This must have been the reason that he was crying. He was upset about one of his first road trips going to shit so easily. I had booked a lot of shows up to that point, and I had learned pretty early on that once in a while, you roll the dice and you lose. Whether it was a low turnout of attendance, too small of a venue, or vehicle trouble, shitty things were bound to happen being in a band. Putting yourself out there in the way we had, trying to be successful while playing music no better than Limp Bizkit, meant that you had to have a thick skin and the resolve to bounce back quickly and keep pressing on. At that moment, it was apparent that the drummer likely did not have the skills, nor the emotional quotient, to deal with me. I didn't know that we were going to be targeted by a bunch of Courage Crew Nazis, was my only defense. Let's just go. The drummer's girlfriend calmly said in his ear, it was clear that she had probably been acting as the drummer's ear for stress relief the entirety of his time with us. To me, it felt like the two other members were quitting right there, and frankly, I was pretty happy about it. I couldn't bear to be around the drummer in his half-deaf, foolish attempts at trying to play a triplet. The guitarist just sat there observing things like he usually did and gave the same slight purse of his lips and head bob that he always did to acknowledge something. I answered back, Awesome! This was a huge waste of time, the guitarist mumbled, and it didn't help that your brother and Habib were high on speed the whole time. The drummer's girlfriend chimed in as she rallied to her two ride mates. By then, Derek, Habib, and the driver had sat down and were now devouring their various Whoppers, chicken sandwiches, and what have you. Really? (laughs) As I began to laugh at how absurd the situation was, the drummer and the guitarist began to rise to the goat I had just stabbed them with. I thought it made things a lot of fun. I finished. At the time, I knew I was being an ass, and just as defensive at being called out for booking a bad show... But it was still Habib and I's band. It was hard to not take it as an overt attack. Yeah, I had to leave work early for all this and miss a half day's pay to come down here and not play at all. What was the point? The drummer asked. He doesn't like you. Interrupted the driver as he spoke without turning his back to the drummer. The statement was fact. I could not deny that. I did not like him. My brother, who was facing the interaction in the next booth over, looked directly at the drummer while slowly chewing a mouthful of food and nodding his head slightly to send a silent agreement to the drummer, as if to say, none of us give a shit about how pissed off you are because we were almost just thrown in jail. I snorted with a muffled... trying not to laugh in the guy's face. The driver, overhearing the end of the conversation, had took notice of how snotty the drummer was being and decided to throw a half-eaten whopper at him as they had gotten up and were heading for the door. The hamburger smacked the drummer in the small of his back, and he turned around and shot us all a look of disgust as we laughed at the stupidity of the entire adventure. I'll let you know if we're getting together next week for practice. It was the last of what I had to say as they walked out and drove off. I ordered my food and went and sat with my brother, Habib, and the driver. I felt like I truly earned that meal. I savored every bite as I listened to Derek and Habib converse with serious intent about my brother's new living situation and the assorted oddities that the evening had wrought. I knew at that point it was very likely that that specific cocktail of individuals wouldn't be playing together from that point on. I remember feeling relieved. Funny to imagine how fixated for months on end we had been on scaling the proverbial mountain that we more than likely had never really gone anywhere. It was an ultimately anticlimactic end to an endeavor that none of us had anticipated being so high stress and odd. We ate, piled back into Satan's fuckbox, and began the long drive home. Habib and Derek both had came down from their high and were clearly fatigued from the whole ordeal of the day's happenings. We joked back and forth about the drummer and his girlfriend off and on the entire ride home. My brother recounted the conversation he had had with the cop to the driver and Habib, and how it was hilarious that the cop had decided to completely fuck with us. At that point, my brother and I still had somewhat of a strained relationship. Not that we didn't care or like each other, it had more to deal with our ability to understand the other. I remember sitting in the front of the van, quietly chatting with my brother. His face looked incredibly bizarre, shoved between the headrest of my seat and the door frame. He tried to bolster my spirits. About everything. About the entire ordeal and what might lie ahead for me. The summer air smelled like a mix of grass and rain when we crossed back over the huge hill on the highway at the south end of our hometown of Harford. I remember vividly as we drove over the hill at about midnight. Our small town was always quiet at this time of night, and on this evening the quietness was amplified by the earth-shattering strangeness of the whole day. I stared out at the cornfield on the left and noticed how serene the stalks of corn swaying gently in the summer breeze made me feel. I was relieved to be home. I had thought about how much I didn't like playing in this band anymore by that point, and how much I disliked the cocktail of personalities as well. It's not that I found anyone to be a bad person— but more of annoyance at having to play diplomat and placate to the ridiculous input and ideas of two people that I thought were clearly not on the same page as Habib and myself. Again, hindsight is a bitch. I was probably just being a huge dick. Bands are funny that way, though. Sometimes everyone can play nice, and things can be done in a very democratic way, which is great, but more often than not, it grows very difficult to keep things even for all parties. Maybe this was what it was like to be in Van Halen. All the dysfunction, drug use, highs and lows, arguments, sounds like Van Halen to me. But at least Van Halen didn't have to haul their own gear. We rolled into the small parking lot of my brother's townhouse. I stepped out of the van to slap a hug around my brother to thank him for the moral support, strong back, and just the entirety of the experience that pushed us a little further down the road of understanding each other. We were born seven years apart and were completely different. He went the family route and I went the podcasting route. But as it was then, we were both now passing into new phases of our lives and a retooling of our relationship was clearly in order to coincide with that. My brother, Derek, the ever equally witty, direct, and wise man that he is, offered the most insightful and illuminating bit of commentary I had heard to sum things up at that point. He leaned in to speak to me through the rolled down van window as he cupped me on my right shoulder. The band didn't make it, Dustin. The sheer simplicity and truth of it was amazing. It wasn't said with a derogatory or malicious intent. I could tell because he flashed one of those charismatic smiles to show that huge gap between his two front teeth. Clearly, he was right. I let out a knowing chuckle. (laughs) It felt good to laugh at it, too. And all the drummer's problems, guitarist's indifference, dirty vans, long drives, badly written lyrics, and low-attendance shows would never change a thing. This shit was funny. The band didn't make it.